Good morning. Uh, we'll be reading from Luke 5, 27 to 32. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at the tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, who belonged to their sect, complained to the disciples, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. May the Holy Spirit open our minds and our hearts to his word. Please be seated. Well, Terry Fawson is here. He is no stranger to us. He has preached here a couple of occasions before. He has been with us at camp a few years back. He has been over the years uh, my teacher, my friend, a mentor to me as well, and we're just glad to have you here. Terry, come on up and share God's word with us. Thanks. Thanks, brother. Thank you. Thanks, uh, Pastor Ken, and thank you all for uh, letting me be here today when uh, Pastor Ken and I first corresponded. I, there was no question whether I'd want to come. It's a matter of just us sorting out all the schedules, and it worked out extremely well on a beautiful weekend, a, a drive that takes only about a half an hour or so, I think. I don't know. I was all of a sudden here. It was really great. Uh, and uh, and I, I must say, I'm feeling like this is my Calgary home church. It really is. I, I, as I greet you and meet with you before and after, it feels like I know everybody here. Well, not really, but I'm trying. And I see you in Edmonton periodically at places like Breakforth. It's just great. And, uh, and I, and I want to say a special warm uh, greeting to you from President Taylor, Dr. David Williams, and all the faculty, staff, and students who are there. And I'd just like to make a comment or two about these others who have shared already today um, in Camp Caroline. Uh, I, I taught in the 90s at NABC and, and we had sometimes 100, 150 in a class and spiritual formations. I'd ask them to say, tell me about your spiritual journey. And invariably it would go with something like this. I grew up in a Christian home. I wrestled with my faith. I went to camp. And I locked in with Jesus. You know, that's kind of the way it went. I'd say 70% of the time, that was the journey of these young men and women that I was meeting at Taylor, at NABC in those days. Maybe some of you were among them. Um, I, I should also say regarding Prairie, of course, that I know we're a school and Taylor is, uh, Prairie is a school. I, I grew up in Carbon, Alberta, near Three Hills. Actually, we always in Carbon, uh, we know Three Hills is a suburb of Carbon. And uh, actually, we actually, at, for the longest time, I thought Calgary was a suburb of Carbon, you know. It's, uh, but I've learned since that, that, uh, that uh, Calgary just grew a little faster than Carbon. But... And I should say that Al Murtis must be one of your profs there. Uh, oh, he does. Oh, yeah, of course. He and I went to school before 1972 or so. I don't know what year that was. It was a long time ago. But Prairie is, a, is in, 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 and Taylor are the schools along uh, with ministries like Camp Caroline 
that are intent on serving the church. We exist for the sake of ministering to strengthen the body of Christ. We have no place apart from the body of Christ. The church is what the Lord has designed to reach into communities and cities and rural regions all over the world. And I've had the privilege of being in various places in the world to see the church alive and powerful. But schools and camps are there as adjunct to that, as serving the local church. And I want to just say that Taylor has been happily to say turning a lot of good corners in the last couple of years. The seminary has grown to a four-year high in numbers. And I taught a class in leadership in January, and I had students from Japan, China, British Guyana, and BC, and as far away as Swift's Kern, Saskatchewan. You know, I mean, we had people from all over the place, and, and we were so glad that, uh, that we have an opportunity now to do uh, seminary education for training professionals uh, at a distance and intensives, and we do it um, in a shorter framework than we've ever done it before. And we need to do it that because the Lord is raising up a whole other generation of, of those who will lead in the church. And so we ask you to be praying for the seminary. The E.P. Wall Center, named after the founder of Christian Training Institute, North American Baptist College, I'm a Baptist Seminary at Taylor, is, uh, is the E.P. Wall Center is growing very quickly. Last year, is two years in operation. Last year, we trained 2,000 people through this continuing education center for lifelong kingdom learning. It's short courses and workshops and seminars. Uh, this last fall, we trained more than that already. And this year, in 2011, the Wall Center is taking the training outside of and spreading beyond the Edmonton area. I need to say that on March the 12th, there's training for um, Christian educators, um, Sunday school teachers, those who work with children at Grace Baptist here in Calgary. Uh, it's with Aaron Reynolds, a renowned educator. Uh, he will be doing a one-day workshop, and there's information, I think, in your foyer on that. We're going to do training for uh, administrative assistants here in Calgary uh, in the fall. We're going to do training in Calgary here for um, how to visit and, and minister in nursing homes and hospitals for lay leaders. And uh, God is giving us opportunity to go to places like Winnipeg and, and, and Kelowna as well, some other far-flung regions of the world. And so I just need to say that. And the college, last thing, there's three sides to Taylor, seminary, wall center, and college. The college will be, by God's grace, this September, starting a one-year intensive leader discipling training program. We're going to give it a soft start, not too much hoopla. We just want to make sure that we get everything right, a one-year intensive. We're, we're actually at six months intensive. One month or five weeks of classroom intensive and five months of intercultural, cross-cultural um, internship in places around the world. So thank you for your continued prayers for Taylor. And thank you for uh, being a faithful church for us for many, many decades. And let's pray together now as we open up the word. Lord, thank you for this church. Thank you for being the Lord of the church for millennia already. And for being the Lord of this church since its inception. Thank you for the ministries that you are doing in and through Thornhill. And we ask you to continue 
to enlarge our vision of you and of what you want to do to build your kingdom through this church. And we ask you also now to awaken us to your word. May it come alive, we pray, in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, he could hardly believe it. As he scurried about making all the necessary preparations, it was like living a dream. He recalled the first time he ever even saw the stranger. He was scarcely giving that stranger a a second glance, determined to simply make another denari and then call it quits for the weekend. Another rabbi, he sighed, I should charge him a teaching tax or all the dust his followers create walking around, I should call, charge him a pollution tax and maybe a, an, a, an entourage tax, something like that. And Matthew smiled, a curled smile and shook his head with almost giddy disbelief how things had changed. Something happened when the stranger spoke to me, Matthew thought to himself, or maybe it was the way he looked at me as if he was looking right through me. It wasn't magical, mystical or anything, but it was wonderful. He really seemed to care. That was it. I seemed to matter. He wasn't trying to make an impression. He certainly wasn't worried about my tax collecting. He wasn't worried about who I was hanging around with either. He was interested in me. Matthew mused over the logical irrationality of his own life. I wasn't miserable or anything. I certainly had more than most people have. I had money, lots of money. I had security, comfort, and I was pretty good at what I did. But when the stranger actually had the time of day for me, I felt something I hadn't felt for a long, long time. I felt that I mattered. I felt that I had maybe some other worth. And I didn't want that feeling to go away. Matthew paused amid his excited frenzy and turned aside to cope with the unfamiliar flood of emotion that uncharacteristically was welling up from the joy spring within, his mind momentarily heavy with memories of being rejected, even hated, which epitomized his day-to-day. Really wasn't such a bad person and wasn't stupid or anything. Had a wonderful education, come from a great family. Like my Jewish peers, I too believed in God, but... When I saw the opportunity to get ahead, to be successful, I just jumped at it. I knew I was moving to some questionable career, but I I didn't really understand what I was getting myself into. That time I really didn't care. All I could think about was me. Once I realized the implications of being a tax collector and painted with that reputation, I began living up to it. What's the point? I really felt trapped. How does a despised traitor find 
respectability? How do you find a way out? I made a bad choice, and now I guess I just had to live with it. In fact, I was dying with it, that choice. Until this morning, until the inconceivable happened, the, the stranger returned. I wonder if he really came to see me or just came by again, but now I know he's planning to come to my house. Then tapes of rejection started to play within Matthew's heart and mind. All of his friends were gathering, arriving, and the party was getting ready, and he looked around. What a motley crew. A regular who's who from the scum of the earth. Why would anyone of any respectability want to come here among this rabble? Perhaps a stranger was just being kind when he said he'd come to my place. He's busy. I'm sure he got other things to do, and I'm sure there's a lot of pressure. And again, it was the stranger who made the first move, who came my way, who set things into motion. It was a stranger who showed up at my office and, and expected something from me. I'm really hoping I'll see him again possible maybe to speak to him but but to think of him coming now well I don't know his timing couldn't have been more perfect in me in my life it was as if he sensed how empty I was I was longing for something something and then he just said follow me what else could I do huh <laughs> I just dropped my book and followed him. And then he bolted to reality. His house was already a buzz with activity. Matthew was looking around, excited and nervous to see all of his old friends. And things were happening so quickly in his life. Where to begin? If, if, I sure hope he comes. I sure hope the stranger shows up. If only everyone could meet him, they'd understand how I'd feel. They'd know he is a friend of sinners. Everything would be transformed and all my friends would get it. And then the party would really begin. And even as he sought whether that would happen, Matthew's attention was drawn to sounds of commotion and celebration erupting from the inner court of his own home where more and more of his guests gathered. And as he squeezed his way through the crowd, his heart beat with growing anticipation that maybe, just maybe, yes, yes, he's here. The stranger has come. Praise be to God. God is with us. He is with us, Emmanuel. So do you think it was there at the party that we read about in Luke chapter 5? There, recorded in this biblical passage that Matthew, this tax collector, otherwise called Levi, son of Alphaeus, 
you think it was there, this inspired author of the gospel that bears his own name? Do you think it was there at that occasion when he was in, in celebrating Jesus arriving at his own home with all of this corrupt rabble? Do you think it was there that he caught the essence that God is with us? Do you think it was there? Because Matthew is the one who really keeps reminding us of that as we pointed out before. I wouldn't be surprised because so much of this dramatic account is surprising. When we examine the interaction between Jesus and the tax collector, we discover something really strange, that first of all, Jesus invited Matthew. Now, that doesn't seem so surprising to those of us who are familiar with the scriptures. Jesus approached to building his leadership team was initially to invite people to follow him. We know about that because we read about that and we've gotten used to that, but of course, it just wasn't how it was normally done and it still isn't how it is normally done that teams are formed. Come on, follow me. And yet it wasn't so much how Jesus recruited, which takes us by surprise in this account, it's more who he recruited. <laughs> a few rough and tumble fishermen, smelly though they be, that was one thing. A political zealot or two, a little bit questionable, you know, those zealots. But a tax collector? Of all people, a tax collector seems surprising, unwise, ridiculous. Then and now, eh? things have never, I hope nobody hears with Review Canada, but. Uh, <laughs> because in Jesus' day, selecting a tax collector would have been like scraping the bottom of the barrel. One biblical scholar explains that there was no class of men in the ancient world more hated than tax collectors. When Cicero spoke of trades unbecoming to a gentleman and, a, and vulgar, he chose as those which incur most odium and ill will the trades of tax collectors and usurers. In his vision of the underworld, Lucian sees a long line of men being led to the throne of Minos where tormentors and furies and avengers await them. A long line was consisting of this, adulterers, procurers, tax collectors, informers, millionaires, moneylenders, Pale, pot-bellied, and gouty. That's how the picture looks. I hope you look at it sometime. Of all the nations, this biblical scholar says, the Jews were most vigorously hating tax collectors. For a strict Jew, God was the only person to whom it was right to pay anything, any tribute. It was to go to God. To pay tribute to anyone else was to infringe on the prerogative that belonged to God. Murderers, robbers, and tax collectors were always classed together. A tax collector was debarred from worship, which was why the tax collector in the parable that we read about in Luke chapter 18 was standing a far way off. Even repentance and self was regarded as being specially difficult for a tax collector. They were ranked with those against whom God has set his face. And Jesus has chosen this man whom all others hated, the man who was supposed to have been lost to shame and lost to any kind of honor in his life. 
a more likely man to be an apostle, it would be impossible to imagine. Now, in three weeks from today, the Lord willing, I want to take another look in Jesus in the Gospel of Luke, and we observe Jesus through some relational lens when he was expected to deal with the unexpected, when we see him meet a sinner, a prostitute, who crashed a politically sensitive dinner engagement, another dinner engagement, and worship at the feet of Jesus. At that time, I hope we can discover how Jesus responds to her. But this morning, as we put on some relationship spectacles, we see Jesus creating a spectacle. He relates to another dreg of society, not by responding to the tax collector, but by engaging the tax collector. Not just kind of like giving him a moment or two, but somehow working close with him and recruiting him, inviting the tax collector to join him, follow him, be part of my team. Why? What was Jesus doing? What was he thinking? Was he trying to build a balanced political team, one representative from every social strata, Matthew being from the outcasts, you know? Was he searching for a suitable stenographer, a potential writer, because he was educated as a tax collector. He could be someone who could write a gospel someday. I'll need him. Was he wanting to prove a point that he could do the rocky thing? I can handle anybody. Was that what he's trying to do? Is that what Jesus is going on here? When we examine the account in Luke chapter 5, verse 27, we don't detect any prearranged agenda on the part of Jesus. We read, Jesus went out, verse 27, and noticed a tax collector named Levi sitting in the tax office. Did you catch that word? Scriptures say Jesus noticed the tax collector. The Matthew and Mark accounts of this encounter say Jesus saw the tax collector. Matthew 9, it says, as Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting in the tax office. Mark 2, it says, Jesus passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting in the tax office. Matthew and Mark use the common Greek word harao, which means to see or perceive or attend to. But the Luke account uses a much more unusual Greek word, theomai. It's called theomai, which means to behold or watch intently, to look at closely, to look deeply into. The scriptures are clear in Luke chapter 5 that Jesus did not just kind of notice the tax collector. The English translation does us an injustice here. Jesus looked closely at the tax collector. He looked into the life of this rejected drag of society. And what did he see? He saw a man. He saw a person. He saw a living soul with hopes and dreams a person with feelings and desires and gifts and passions just like the rest of us. Which makes me ask myself and ask all of us, who have I noticed lately like that? Who have I looked at and then looked again? Whose life have I looked into through the eyes of our Lord whose life needs me to catch attention? 
And what do I see? Do I see enough to invest in, to engage relationally, and to invite into my life? Jesus looked closely and discovered a man, a human soul created by God Almighty that was buried under dirt of sin and shame. Know anybody like that? Entrapped, encased in a tomb of sullied reputation, dying, infected with greed and selfishness. Jesus looked closely, and Matthew must have been looking back because he invited this tax collector to follow him. The amazing thing is he did. It's amazing. Matthew actually just let everything go. In verse 28, it says, He left everything behind, got up, and began to follow Jesus. Friends, there are people, lots of people, millions, really, but around us, lots of people ready to abandon the sinking ship of their lives and get on board with a loving God a living God, a God who gives them some purpose and joy and hope. All they need is someone like you and me to see them for who they are, to love them enough to get involved in their life enough to invite them to follow Jesus. People will follow Jesus because they need to. They want to. And they know it. Matthew followed Jesus. But he did more than that. When we examine the interaction between Jesus and the tax collector, we discover that first, Jesus invited Matthew. And secondly, Matthew invited Jesus. We read in verse 29 that Levi, Matthew, gave a big reception for Jesus in his house. And there was a great crowd of tax collectors and other such people who were reclining at table with them. Just picture it. This was saying a big reception. There was a great crowd of this type. Another surprise. Matthew throws a party at his house for Jesus. Now, that's not so strange. Jesus was often invited into people's homes and routinely graciously obliged. But when Matthew invited Jesus, it's surprising that he went. Not because of, 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 of the menu that was being served. That wasn't the surprise that he went. But because of the men and women being served. That's why it was surprising Jesus went. Matthew extended invitation to Jesus. He was actually inviting trouble for Jesus. And Jesus knew it. You can be sure. And trouble he got. Predictably, the scribes and Pharisees were hanging around, noticing a few things themselves. Nudging each other. Clucking their tongues. <laughs> flapping their gums. Criticizing Jesus. Luke 5, verse 30 says... The Pharisees and their scribes began grumbling at Jesus' disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? 
Personally, I think that these guys had their nose out of joint, that they didn't get invited. That's my opinion. But uh, anyway, they criticized. And Jesus knew that they would. And I think in some ways he hoped that they would notice the extent to which God goes to reach anyone. But what exactly were they criticizing? What was Jesus, along with his followers, doing which warranted such concern? Was he initiating a new licentious tax collector's cult? Is that what he's doing? No. Was he healing gain without a license? Wow, how can he do that? Was he, was he putting back a few too many bottles of vino? You know what goes on on those parties. No. no. Jesus was being criticized for being with the wrong crowd. There was particular emphasis in this scripture on the words being with. It really means dealing with. Dealing with sinners is one thing. That's acceptable. In fact, that's unavoidable. Every one of us have to cope with these people, tolerate these people, deal with these people. But that was precisely the complaint of the scribes and Pharisees. De Jesus didn't appear to just be handling these sinners. He didn't seem to be at Matthew's house in order to make a point to get them right, to get them on track. Jesus wasn't apparently using this invitation as an opportunity to preach to some dogs, to correct some incorrigible sinners. That's not why he went. He wasn't there to cajole this nest of polluted people into repentance. Instead, Jesus says it was, he was eating with them and drinking with them, with these tax collectors and sinners. And you know when you eat and drink with someone, you inevitably have a good time. He was talking with them, not talking to them. He was dialoguing, not directing. He was being with them, not beating up on them. He was getting involved in their messy lives, giving them time, assuming they were worth it, surprising them with his love. He was building relationships, and he seemed to be enjoying it. In fact, he was celebrating he was celebrating life. He was celebrating newness and transformation and joy that was evident in Matthew and that was beginning to unfold and move among all of this crowd. He was celebrating. The relationship between Jesus and the tax collector can be characterized by one word, celebration. As I try to visualize that reception at the party at Matthew's place, I imagine a woman, maybe another prostitute showing up at the Pharisee's house later on. Maybe she just showed up there at Matthew's place and offered Jesus another lamb-stuffed pita pocket. I don't know. Maybe one of the tax collectors approached Jesus and asked him pointedly, so what's this I hear about Matthew following you? I see Jesus listening intently as people crowd around and, and him telling them stories that touch their souls. I hear the laughter, then singing, the hopeful buzz of excited anticipation. I smell the wonderful aroma of freshness and something new wafting through the courtyard. I sense an inexplicable wonder capturing the entire crowd, as Jesus tells, about God loving humanity. 
Hey, Jesus, you want some more figs or, or some raisins? Oh, no thanks, I'm full. That was a great meal. But let me tell you about a banquet in heaven. The Father is preparing it, and I expect all of you to be there. Us? I believe that party was unfolding at Matthew's place on that ancient Palestinian evening centuries ago was actually a taste of heaven, a glimpse of, of glory to come, a hint of what was in the heart of God, and it reverberates throughout all of the universe when one, just one, tax collector is set free. When one person chooses to go God's way and follow Jesus, when one sinner comes to repentance, you know why I think that? Because Jesus later describes in a very similar setting in Matthew 15 when he concludes in a classic parable regarding the lost. He says repeatedly, I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that turns around. One. Oh, God, I pray that in my life I can help just one know you. I pray that in the life of the church you will help us to be magnified into the expanse of your grace and your forgiveness, and your mercy, in your love. So that others will be free. And that we'll celebrate together in glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.